But here they are cursing God's name. And what was the penalty in Leviticus 24? When you blasphemed and you cursed the name of God, they stoned you to death. It's not by accident that God Almighty out of the heavens stones the world with these hundred-pound hailstones, and he's reminding that the fullness of the expression of his law as seen in his wrath is going to come upon the earth. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, we wrap up our look at the bold judgments found in chapter 16 of the Revelation. We've looked at all the judgments preceding the seventh bold judgment, including the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. And today, Dr. Brogy begins by looking at the location where armies from around the world will gather to come against Israel. Let's rejoin him as he begins reading from Revelation 16, 16. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, here's a picture of Armageddon. If you go to Israel, we've stood on this place many, many, many times. It's an elevated hill of sorts. It's a, it's a mountain. Har is the Hebrew word for mountain or hill. Armageddon means the mountain or the hill of Armageddon. And in Greek, it comes out Armageddon. Now, Armageddon was a very well-known place to first-century readers. And this is a place today that we often refer to as Tel Megiddo. Megiddo is this elevated city, ancient city, and overlooks the Jezreel Valley. And people, Christians, often call this valley the Valley of Armageddon. There is actually no such valley that's Christianese, but it is the launching place, it's the setup place where the armies of the world will gather as they begin to march over a course of 200 miles up and down Israel, and they will ultimately attack the city of Jerusalem itself. We're going to study that. Today, we refer to this as a tell. What is a tell? A tell is not only a, a hill or a mountain that God made, but a hill or a mountain that grew because it was man-made. So how did tells develop? Well, initially, if you were going to settle someplace, two things were critical. You needed some height to build your city so that if the enemy came, you could protect yourself best if you were in an elevated ground. And secondly, you needed a water source. And of course, both those things are found here. And so you'd go ahead and you'd build on the city and and you'd establish your homes, and someone else with greed in their eyes would say, hey, that's a nice spot. We'd like to have it. And so they would attack you, and they'd crumble it. They usually would burn a city. That's how you would attack it in ancient days. And after a while, the mound of dirt got a little bit higher, and the next civilization would come along, and they'd build on top of that mound of dirt. And, and someone else would greet in their eyes would say, hmm, I like that city. And they attack it, and they burn it, and it crumbles. And another group comes along, and it gets higher and higher, and another city comes, and one after another, and the tail gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. In fact, if you go to Tel Megiddo today, they, they've taken a slice out of the side of it, and you can count the different levels of civilization. There's at least 26 different levels 
of civilizations that were on this tell. Now, if the picture I just showed you of Tel Megiddo was exactly how it looked in John's day, because no one has ever lived on it since the Apostle John's day. But for centuries, this was a critical place, and it is going to become the launching place where the armies of the world will come together to plan an attack against the nation of Israel there in the valley of Jezreel. Now, that's a sneak preview that John gives us of this place called Armageddon. He's mentioned it briefly, but we're going to study it more fully when we come to chapters 19 and 20. Now, you say, when are we going to get started on the sermon? You haven't even hit Roman numeral one. Okay, I'm ready. And I'm actually almost done. So stay with me. Here, I want you to think about the sentence that will be rendered. Having looked at the first six bowls of wrath and this interlude that follows, now we come to the seventh bowl of wrath where the sentence will be rendered. I want you to see the sentence that will be rendered. We're told now in verse 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Now, it's interesting to note that the bowl of this seventh angel is poured out upon the air, and it results in a catastrophe upon the air. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Some think, well, this is military aircraft. Again, let the Scriptures speak for themselves. None of these things are the kind of uh, sensations that Hal Lindsey produced in his book, Late Great Planet Earth, to sell millions of copies. It's just sheer nonsense, some of the things that he came up with. But something happens in the realm of the air. I don't know. Maybe it's an asteroid. The text doesn't tell us, so I can't make something up. But I do know that it's not what Hal and others have said, because this plague, like all the plagues, are directly from God Himself in heaven. Maybe it's some of the lightning and thunder and this terrible storm that comes. I've only been through one terrible lightning storm that really, I mean, just frightened us. We just thought the house was going to fall apart. And it was on my son, Jameson's, fourth birthday, and we had turned off the lights, and the house was shaking, and the thunder was blasting, and Audrey carried out the cake, and then, boom, and 15 yards away, a tree, our tree there, literally was hit by lightning. Thousands of leaves were on flames. It came down like a birthday candle, and the tree was peeled like a banana. It was absolutely beautiful. They had it on the news the next day. This is a lightning storm, a thunderstorm that is unprecedented. So we don't know exactly what is happening in the air, but it's catastrophic. We're told a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. A loud voice, a mega voice, a great voice, phono mega, we reverse it and we say megaphone. A loud voice comes out of the temple, and God shouts, it is done. It's one word in Greek. From the cross with a great sense of joy, for the joy set before him, Jesus shouted, it is finished, concerning our redemption. Now God shouts, it is done, concerning the wrath of these 21 judgments 
before the final eternal wrath of God. And again, Jesus said, unless these days had been cut short, no one could have survived. There would be no one left to enter his millennial kingdom in terms of living subjects. Now, that's a sentence that will be rendered. Secondly, there's a system that will be ruined. There's a system that is going to be ruined. Look at verse 18. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. By the way, there are many similarities between the first seal, the final seal, and the final trumpet, and the final bowl. In the seventh seal, we're told this in Revelation 8, then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then when the seventh trumpet, again intensity increasing, the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So there's a hailstorm that's added to it. Now on the seventh bowl, notice verse 18, there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and it was so mighty. This, my friend, is the big one. This is the biggest one the world will ever see such as there had not been one since man came to be upon the earth. And this is exactly what the prophet Haggai predicted at the end of time would happen when he spoke of the Jewish people and the coming, the second coming of the Messiah. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. There would be no Richter scale that could measure this earthquake. Notice the consequences, verse 19. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Now, John writes of the great city, and the thoughtful reader would immediately ask, what is the great city? What is he referring to? Remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. And he's already introduced us to this term in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8 of two witnesses who are in the street of the great city that is defined in that chapter as Jerusalem. And because I believe the Bible, I believe with all my heart the most important city on the face of the earth is Jerusalem. God describes it in the prophet Ezekiel as the center of the world. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I've set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. Now, you may think Rome or Nashville or Tokyo or Paris or Moscow or Washington are more important, but they're not. Jerusalem and the mind and heart of God is the number one most important city on the face of the earth. That's why Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where the Temple Mount was, where the Solomonic Temple was built, where the Zerubbabel Temple was built, where Herod fixed it up even more, where the Romans tore it down, where the Tribulation Temple will be built. And it's there on Mount Zion that you will find a place called Golgotha, 
that Jesus died on. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Jesus ministered in the temple there in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. Jesus was raised from the dead in Jerusalem. Jesus physically, literally ascended into heaven from Jerusalem, and the prophet says he will actually literally come back and plant his feet there in the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. The great city, the Bible says, verse 19, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So not only does Jerusalem have a great impact from this earthquake, so don't all the cities, Washington, Tokyo, all the cities, the nations, the world is shaken, and they'll be destroyed in a moment's time. Notice who with, along with Babylon the great, was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. He once again reminds us of this place called Babylon. Babylon, next to Jerusalem, is the second most mentioned city in all of the Bible. And John, again, is previewing of something that is going to come. He's going to spend two chapters on Babylon, and there are two dimensions to Babylon. One is spiritual in nature. That's chapter 17. The other is economic in nature. So in this wicked city that we will look at and see where it is, there will be headquartered a one-world religion, and there will be a one-world economy from which the Antichrist will literally rule. Now, we're told in verse 20 that through this judgment, every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. By the way, this is what Isaiah the prophet said. In Isaiah chapter 40, every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. There in Isaiah 40, that speaks of the coming ministry of John the Baptist, it gives us, like many passages in the Old Testament, both comings of Messiah in a single paragraph of Scripture. So when this earthquake comes, we're going to go back to a time that would mimic before the great flood. Not only will people live long extended periods of time through the millennium like they did in Noah's day, but the topography of the world will change. After the great flood and the waters receded, the Bible said the mountains came up and the valleys sunk low. And God is going to level the topography in some way during the thousand-year reign of Messiah. And what is he going to do? He's going to bring Jerusalem the apple of his eye up to the top. We're told in Isaiah 2 and in Micah 4, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. Jerusalem in the Bible is called the holy city and because it's often associated, of course, with Israel, we call the land of Israel the holy land. And God is going to raise Jerusalem up, and we'll see what will happen during that thousand-year reign when we come to chapter 20. And look at verse 21 further. We're told, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. I remember one summer, I was 13 years old. It was in July. It was like Christmas in July. 
We had a hell storm that went for about 15 minutes, and it just came, and it came, and it came, and it came. And when you looked outside the window there in Worcester, Massachusetts, it was all white and beautiful. It was like we had had a snowstorm, and it went just as fast almost as it came as it melted. But I want to tell you, this hell storm is different than anything that has ever fallen upon the world. Here is a couple pictured here, a Missouri couple that had some baseball-sized hail that they showed off in this picture. The deadliest hail that ever came came in India, where 92 people were killed. The heaviest hail that ever came was in a place, Bangladesh, where they measured a piece of hail at 2.25 pounds. This hail that's coming isn't the size of golf balls, it's the size of golf carts. It's 100 pounds. It's huge. Now, how do those who spiritualize the book of Revelation deal with this? How does the historical view of Revelation and the preterist view, and if you don't know what that means, go back and listen to the very first sermon. There are false approaches to the book. They they don't know what to do with this. This is real, literal hell. God had a conversation with Job one day, and God asked Job, have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? That's this day. God has storehouses of hail, and he's reserved it for this coming day, and this final expression that we'll see will happen at the end of the campaign of Armageddon. Now there's a sentence, there's a system that will be ruined. Finally, there's the sinners that will be revealed. Beyond the sentence that will be rendered, beyond the system that will be ruined, there will be sinners who will be revealed. We're told here in the second half of verse 21, and then blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Now, we've been reading through the revelation of men blaspheming God, but what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Man's unbelief comes first, and it is man's unbelief and rebellion and unwillingness to repent that brings the judgment of God. We read in chapter 16 and verse 9, they blasphemed the name of God, they did not repent. We read in chapter 16 and verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven, they did not repent. God never does anything by whim or by accident. Oh, let's give them some hell today. They blaspheme the living God. Now, men curse his name, they use it in vain. Even Christians, oh my gee, all the time, they're just so flippant with the name of God. I don't think they mean it sometimes. I don't think they even know what they're doing. But here they are cursing God's name. And what was the penalty in Leviticus 24? When you blasphemed and you cursed the name of God, they stoned you to death. It's not by accident that God Almighty out of the heavens stones the world with these hundred-pound hailstones, and he's reminding that the fullness of the expression of his law as seen in his wrath is going to come upon the earth. Now, this passage reminds me that often God in the spiritual realm will announce what he is going to do in the physical realm. Just study the earthquakes in the Bible. There are God's alarm clocks to get man's attention. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. 
When Jesus died on the cross and he paid for our sin, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. When he was raised from the dead, the scripture says there was a great earthquake to reveal the empty tomb. And on this occasion, the biggest earthquake the world has ever seen that is going to announce the second coming of Jesus from heaven. Now, you still say, well, there's two chapters, 17 and 18, and the second coming doesn't happen until 19, because God is going to show us what has been going on in the hearts of man, where they would come to this point where they literally are able to see this is God's hand, and yet they blaspheme the one who created and made them. God is in control. He rules in heaven above. He is a God of love, but He is a God of wrath. Let me make three applications as I close our time off. Number one, our God is a God whose patience towards you will end. There is coming a day when God's patience towards you will end. Now, we've already learned that those earth dwellers, as they're called, heard the gospel prior to the rapture, but they did not believe. And if you will not believe in this time, you will not be able to believe in this coming time. We've already studied that. And if you want to hear a whole sermon on it, listen to 2 Thessalonians 2. Because they would not believe, as Jesus said, they could not believe. Because they would not receive the love of the truth, Paul says, so as to be saved. Therefore, God sent upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false. And those who refuse him in this day, you will march against him in that coming day. He is the light of the world, but men so often love the darkness rather than the light. They want a form of Christianity to soothe a guilty conscience, but they don't want the real thing. And because they do not repent, they ultimately blaspheme, and they will be represented by the armies of the world that will go against Israel. God's patience will someday end towards you. His spirit will not always strive with you. You don't know that you have another hour to live or another day or another week or that Jesus couldn't come back tonight. You need to be ready. Secondly, our God is a God of great wrath. Our God is a God of great wrath. Over and over again in the Greek New Testament, this little word mega, translated great, appears. Verse 1, the sound of a mega voice. Verse 9, we learned of mega heat. Verse 12 of a mega river that will become a trap. And in verse 14, we studied the great, the mega day of God as seen in the battle of Armageddon. And we just read of the mega earthquake and of the mega city and of a plague of mega hailstones. This is the great God of wrath. No one likes an unjust judge. No one likes a judge who lets a guilty murderer go scot-free. Why do you not like that kind of judge? Because you're made in the image of God. And His image is reflected in the law that He wrote into your heart. And so you should know inwardly that God is not just loving. He is holy. He is just. Third and finally, I'm reminded our God is a God of great grace. He's a God of great grace. 
We just studied this morning in verse 15 that Jesus is coming, and so his counsel to you is to be ready for the thief. We do not know when he will come. Jesus could come today in the rapture, and for many it would be too late. Listen, if you knew the thief were coming tonight, you'd be ready, but you don't. He is coming like a thief. And if you have rejected God's substitute who shed his innocent blood as a payment for your sin so that you could escape the wrath of God, then you will not meet God in mercy. You will meet him in wrath. Listen, most of you know him here this morning. And God doesn't want you to get your garments dirty. And if you're living a compromised life, then you need to get it right today. Things are changing so fast in this nation and in this world. And if you don't see it, you're just absolutely blind. But you see, many people don't see it. They think what is happening in our nation is good. But it is evil beyond evil, and many of God's people are just anesthetized by it because their clothes are dirty and the Spirit cannot fill them. If your clothes are dirty, get them clean today. Bring them back under the blood of Christ. But if you've never been given salvation's garments, you can receive them today if you will call upon Jesus in faith. I don't care if you're in Grays or Bluffton or here, or Graniteville, or live streaming, if you do not know that you know that you know that salvation is yours, you need to come in faith. You need to believe what God promised, that because he did what he did in Christ, dying, bleeding, and being raised, he can promise you what he promises. If you will call on his name today, he will receive you and give you the gift of eternal life. And the question is, will you believe that? Or will you call God a liar? Now, Holy Father, I thank you that in your mercy, you have prepared me for heaven, not by my merit, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray today for someone here who's really unsure of their salvation. Father, help them to see that they can do nothing to earn it or merit it that your son shouted from the cross, it was paid in full. Your word says that you cannot lie. Your Bible says it is impossible for you to lie. Moses wrote that you are not like a man that you would ever lie. Thank you for your promise that Christ receives sinful men, that whosoever will may come, that whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. I pray for those who have a false assurance, who have never repented, who have never changed their mind and called it evil, such that they would want you to change it and make them new. You warn that unless someone repents, he will perish. Help someone today to see that they need to bring their sin to the cross that Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, might forgive them and give them a new life. Thank you that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, his old life has passed away, and a new life has started. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to this message in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV46, entitled Armageddon and the Seventh Bowl. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. For more information, call 787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, we move into Revelation 17 and begin a look at Religious Babylon. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.